You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and these are our interviews with the writer, director, and composer for The Harder They Fall, James Samuel, and Will Mavity's interview with the costume designer, Antoinette Massam. What the hell are you doing? There ain't nowhere to board a train, you damn stupid nigga! You know, he might could have said nincompoop. We ain't no nincompoop. Open it. We're gonna play for you our first tune. It's called Let's Start What We Have Come Into the Room to Do. Right, here goes. One, two, three. James, how are you, man? I'm good, my brother. How are you doing? Uh, doing really well, you know, it's that time of the year where things are starting to sort of settle, like calm before the storm, if you will, because we have just like a flurry of end of year awards, televised stuff and everything just coming now, you know? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And um, it's, you know, obviously I've never been here before. So this is yeah. That's what I was going to ask you. Like, what is it like going through all of this for the first time on your first feature length film? I, I imagine it must feel very exciting uh, as well as kind of pummeling, I guess, because there's so much happening all at once. Yeah. Well, I mean, for me, um, there's only so much happening at once because there's like life and, and, and that's a fun thing, but it's super exciting. It's more, it's really, um, gratifying to have something that only you believed in in the entire world right mm-hmm. and you've working on for so long no one was seemingly listening and stuff man. and then you get to a place where okay other people are listening and other people want to collaborate and get this thing done and then you do that and then the world is watching and then the world is listening and now you're meeting all of these amazing people that are in tune mm-hmm. with what it is you you've done and the and the um, storytelling language that you speak is it's actually an awesome thing so for me um it's just exciting like there's more excitement on more excitement that's awesome man i mean yeah. so going into all these individual meetings with the, with just this all-star cast i love the cast in this movie so much Thank you. it's your first film it's your first uh screenplay everything first 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 what is the pitch what are you telling them to get them to say trust me even though i haven't done this before I suppose it was the pro- the process of making the film was was different, right? Mm-hmm. So you're not really pitching. Like me and Idris have known each other for over 15 years. And oh, nice, from, yeah. From as long as we, we know each other from the hood in <laughs> London, from just run, run around the streets. So um, as long as I've known Idris, we've been talking about this movie literally years, right? We've always been talking about, you know, when I do, do the Western and dress and da, 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 da. So there was no <laughs> version of this film without Idris Elba, which is a big thing. And then um, Jay-Z and myself have known each other since I think 2009. We've been collaborating since 2010. Yeah. And we've been Jay Electronica's album together. We've been, um, then we did Great Gatsby and all that. And literally that entire time, we've been talking about uh, a Western. We just needed to let the world catch up. When I had the idea for The Hard Way Fall, Netflix was sending DVDs to my house, mm-hmm. right? They weren't even a streaming company at that Sure, point. yeah. Right? They would send DVDs and they had blocked my account like a thousand times because I never sent those DVDs back. <laughs> so literally, so I'll change my, I'll just change the name and this and that and then use different, different details and then get more DVDs. I mean, it's, 
the ends justifies the means. Yeah. And then they ended up making making my movie. So I've always had good fortune when it comes to Netflix. That's awesome. Uh, as long as as long as um, Jay and myself have known each other, we've been speaking about this movie. So it's almost like the world had to catch up in the, the environment and just everything else, I, I suppose. Because I was always saying, this, saying the same thing. And then, and then I was fortunate when it came to actors. I shot a short film 10 years ago mm-hmm. called They Die By Dawn. It's related to it in that they're both Westerns and they use a lot of the same historical characters. The stories are entirely different. They're two different um, films. But I had a great cast. Isn't that the name it, of the uh, studio album as well, if I remember correctly? Yeah, They Die By Dawn and other short stories. Right, yeah. And in, in, the, in the short film, I had like Michael K. Williams, uh, Bob Keenwood, Byrne, Nate Parker, Rosario Dawson, Erica Badu, Jesse Williams, Harry Lennox, uh, Roger Guinevere Smith, Giancarlo Esposito. I had like the most amazing cast for a short film. And then I, I used that, I was screening, it was almost like a proof of concept. So I'm showing that to people. And pretty much everyone that I was speaking to was coming on board. And then uh, then the studio uh, came on board, um, Netflix. And when I met Netflix, it wasn't, Scott Stuber's exact words were, this is not a pitch meeting. We're making mm. your movie. Nice. Wow. Things just got mad real, mad quick in Nintendo. Uh, you know, um, Legenda came on board and, you know, we, we, we just made, it didn't seem like it all those years went past. It was literally from idea, from conception to creation was 15 years, but from actual graft, skin in the game, 10 years. But it didn't seem like 10 years. Yeah. We're just pretty much um, uh, going forward um, and doing what, what it is you set out to do because I love the journey of getting it done. That's life. Mm-hmm. That's the that's the life. When you when you get it done, you give birth to a child, and when a child is born, that's amazing. Yeah. But the making of the child was equally as enjoyable, so to speak. And so <laughs> you, right? You like you. So you're going through that process, and you're making your your child, and that's what turns a lot of people off. But that's what turns me on. Come from the area I I came from. I'm not supposed to be doing this um, this uh, uh, type of thing, or maybe I am. Mm-hmm. But first-time filmmaker doesn't set out to make a huge budget Western. It's like making things super difficult for yourself. But for me, it was awesome. Yeah. I imagine that this is wholly ingrained in you because you're an artist at the end of the day. You yeah. put your stamp on the world of music. Now you're making your mark in the world of film. I'm curious mm-hmm. to know what are the similarities and how you approach both art forms and what are the dissimilarities? Okay. I would say, Matthew, there are literally no dissimilarities. Film and music are literally the exact same thing, which is why I always say composers are hired too late. A composer should be hired from script stage, Mm. right? Because a composer is telling the story with you and and the melody could dictate where you place the camera. Sure. A motif could dictate how you shoot a conversation, just in a motif, knowing the motif prior to shooting, I don't understand how that much um, wealth of information cannot do anything but help the director. The movie shouldn't be shot. And I believe when you speak to other composers, my composer friends, I I, like it's it's quite hindering when the movie is shot and now the composer has to work to the movie. Mm -hmm. The composer can work to the script. Um, And so for me, a script and a song are the same. Three acts roughly in the script, right? You look at your beginning, your middle, your end. A song has three verses. It's three acts. Mm-hmm. Verse one, verse two in the middle, right? Then 
they're pretty much exactly the same and, and they all work hand in hand in my head. So when I'm writing a screenplay, I'm listening, I speak back the words and then I start composing the score from the words, from the rhythm of the words and, and finding the motifs. And then when you cast, things change. You hire an, uh, an actor, you bring on board an actor, and the actor has his or her own nuances and that informs the melody even more than what you had. So it's really all the same thing. It's all like um, water. And it's all, they all kind of, uh, uh, I, don't, I, I can't find any dissimilarities between the creation. I, I can't find any um, dissimilarities between the creation of film and the creation of, of music. Just, it's just art. Mm-hmm. And I think that, and I think that's probably why you know this has been such an impressive debut, and you've just so seamlessly worked your way in. Um, you know, when I watched this, I was very impressed by the technical skill, the rhythm of the movie, as you're mentioning, and how much it does play to the music. And your music has, as of today, been uh, shortlisted both for the score and for the song uh, by the Academy. So people are recognizing the talent and the work that you have done there, and it's really, really just. I think awesome to see, especially because of the type of story that is being told. This feels like something fresh and something new, even though it's based on people who, as your title says in the beginning, people that really existed. Um, yeah. So I, I, I just love the fresh take that you brought to this genre that we've seen done so many times before. And mm. You know, I was, I, I got to ask, I'm curious about this one. I was at the Gotham Awards. You made a speech there kind of alluding to, I'm not going to name the film or the filmmaker, but another black Western movie that used the N word a lot was much probably, probably very, very violent and so on and so forth. And I'm curious to know if your film was acting as any kind of statement in retaliation to that particular film. I don't want to name it necessarily, well, but I, I think I you know what say- I'm talking about. I, I would say the film you're talking about is Django Unchained, right? Um, uh, uh, I would say no. Like I was, I was, I made They Die by Dawn. Yeah, I was referring to that movie at the Gotham Awards, um, mm-hmm. but I made They Die by Dawn in 2012. Yeah, we shot, and he made Django in 2012. We shot mm-hmm. our movies not only the exact same time in the exact same place, Melody Ranch Studios. I needed to book it. That production was going in, so they shot for. I can't remember like a week there, and as soon as they they moved down to, uh, was it New Orleans somewhere, Louisiana somewhere, mm-hmm. and I moved in and I shot They Die by Dawn. They Die by Dawn was a four day shoot, but we shot at the at the same time. My my um, so Django wasn't even out when I was talking about like black people in the mm-hmm. West, but you know we, we, prior to Django. Obviously, it was promoted as Black Western, but it's not a Black Western. There's no Black cowboys in there. They're all slaves. Mm-hmm. And, they, you know, and there's one um, slave who turns uh, cowboy. So, not really. So, I was, but what I was on, the, the hard before is almost testament or a, a statement to all of the history of Hollywood, Django included, right? Mm-hmm. That just because you show Black people in the Old West, or in a period piece, it doesn't mean we have to be subservient or that has to be the story. Or just to, because you show black people in, in um, let's say the Old West, mm-hmm. or women, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, in the Old West, doesn't mean you have to call us the N-word. Like, 
over a hundred times in your in your movie. Like we, it it at some point becomes like we as as people of color and women of all colors when we're watching. There's a reason why people think they don't like westerns, mm-hmm. right? It's because of the narrow depiction of that place and time. A western is literally just the time and place it's shot, right? It's just mm-hmm. the geographical location and the time. But there's a reason why people think they don't they don't like them because of the the narrow scope in which we've been we've been given them. Whereas if you remove that, you don't hear the N word in the Hard of Day Four once. No, you don't. No character. No character says it. Black people are just black people. The the term cowboys was for people of color. Cowhands, white folks would call what? Cowhands. So it's almost like I'm speaking to all of those films that just show us in such a derogatory, derogatory light. And not just with use of the N-word, but just with the in the so remove Django, but just in the really derogatory, inhuman way we're shown, even even the way Mexicans are shown in the old West and the way sure, Native, yeah. American, Native Americans are shown. At no point mm-hmm. in time did Native Americans circle a wagon with a white family inside the wagon. This stuff didn't happen, just Hollywood's depiction. So it's almost like um, the harder they fall kind of takes a baseball bat to all of it. I think that's part of the reason why it's such a powerful watch. It's almost like you're reclaiming cinema back in a way and stories yeah. for for these characters, these people. Yeah. And I, I really, really love the statement that that is making. Um, my final question before we go here, because I know we got to run, is, you know, this was an all-Black Western, as you mentioned before, and a lot of people are saying that it's depiction, the way that it's uh, presented, as you eloquently just said it is something that is kind of a statement and is taking hollywood history to task here what other uh genre would you like to see that applied to i mean all genres really um good answer (laughs) yeah all all genres women just get like cast aside in pretty much all genres but especially period pieces i don't understand why um a period piece has to show um, women subservient, right? In all mm-hmm. colors, right? If we look at the Western, imagine how how dehydrated a genre will be when you miss you when you just like cast women to the side of people of all color. That's the old West, but I think all all genres really all genres. That's why we love Star Wars so much. The minute Star Wars begins, you see this lady, big headphones, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> like, uh, Princess Leia, getting rude to. Peter Cushion, Grandma of Talking with Darth Vader. Like she really, this is why we love that film. She mm-hmm. drives the story. Help us, Obi-Wan. You're our only hope. Like, who is this lady? We want, the, uh, you know, for me, uh, pretty much all genres, I think, people of color and, and, and women and just what our society looks like in real life mm-hmm. should be applied to, to all genres. And we'll have a much better, um, a better go at it. So my next movie, you'll see what I'm talking about even more. Love it. <laughs> you know I mean? Love it. Uh, well, thank you so much. I think as long as there are artists like you leading the way, uh, we'll see the cultural landscape of cinema continue to change for the better with these amazing stories. So I thank you very much for your time today, James, and I wish you the best of luck uh, with the heart. I follow the rest of this award season. Thank you so much, my brother. Thank you so much, man. All right, man. Take care. Peace. You do know how to make a grand entrance. I know who you are. Angel who hunts down those who trespass against him with no mercy.
Smith. Admit it. I'm lighting with the blam blams. Let's talk about this one because I saw this movie in October and I haven't stopped thinking about the costumes since oh, then. Thank you. You know, I mean, there's people who love it and get it and those who don't. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it depends on how much of a purist you are, I guess. Yeah. Well, I mean, talk to me about um, kind of how your conversations started initially with James about like what kind of a film this was going to be kind of stylized, kind of period accurate. You know, how did you get to the happy medium that this film has? My my agents um, shared this this story with me about this script and said it's a Western. It's an all black cast, but more importantly, we think you're going to be interested because of the people involved. And then they told me it was James Samuel and Jay-Z. I'd not heard of James Samuel and I looked him up and realized, oh, James Samuel of the Bullets, James Samuel who worked with Jay-Z on The Great Gatsby, James Samuel who has done Till dawn, till dawn do, is dead or God, I, you know what I'm trying to say. I think it's um, they die death, by it dawn. dawn. Yeah, death by dawn. And also looking at his own work, looking at his music videos, looking at that movie, I'm like, this is a filmmaker. So they said, and that's, they know me. They know I love a challenge. They know I love something different. And immediately it's like, I'm interested. So they tracked it for me. And it's, it came up about nine months to a year later. And they said, we've submitted you for this. And there's some heavy players interested, but I was able to get an interview. And at that interview, maybe knowing his backstory, knowing he's a musician, knowing that he's done music videos, looking at him online and seeing that this man loves fashion, knowing Jay-Z's involved, I didn't just bring period reference of the time. I brought contemporary visuals, fashion visuals, music video visuals. And that's when he's like, okay, you get it. Because he was not interested in making a a Western like what we've seen before or recently. And it's not even so much a Western because, I mean, to quote him, he did say he wasn't making a dusty, dirty cowboy movie. (laughs) Um, He also was very clear about the type of period film he wasn't interested in in doing. He wanted something that was relatable, that, that today's audience, that the kids would relate to. And he spoke about as a kid, falling in love with Sergio Leone films. Um, is that right? Sergio, Sergio. Sergio Leone. See, it's Sergio Leone. It at least. Oh my God, it's the editing on this one. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry. You know, it's, it's, um, it's not too late here. It's only 7.30 PM, but it's been, um, it's been a long day. Um, but yeah, that they influenced him. And those were movies were made in the seventies, you know? Right. 60s and 70s. So if this movie is made now, how would it look? 
And that's where I was, that's what I was thinking about when I was doing my research and putting together my mood boards. And it's not to say it happened right off the top. You know, the first interview is like, oh my God, you're Jamaican. I love that. Because he has a love, his wife is Jamaican and he knows mm. the culture and the music. And he grew up in, in England, in Brixton. So he knows that sound that you hear in the street. Right. And we we initially connected on the music and then just started going riffing and going back and forth about the looks and the layers. And he sent me back to like come back with more. And he kept pushing me to think out of the box. And it was great because when I look at the visuals now, they're so we see them in the movie. Like those, that was our Bible from the very beginning. Mm -hmm. And he had his own references as well. So the fact that we had similar references was another way we connected. It's like, oh my God. And then he'd pick up his mug and look at this, I have the same one. And um, so we got, I got in really early. I was one of the first people hired. So we were able to spend some really amazing time together. So I know I kind of went off on a tangent, but yeah, that's, that was the beginning. It started really early. Well, let me ask you this. Uh, you said you and him had some of the same references you brought. So uh, other than obviously his love for Sergio Leone, um, what did you both bring as your references? You don't have to list them all, There's, obviously. For me? <laughs> you don't have to list them all, obviously, just a couple no, of notable but, ones. You know, there were, there were some um, Western-inspired fashion references that we both had like British Vogue, Italian Vogue. We both had some similar references. We both had Oswald Boateng's Harlem Renaissance collection, which was very much an insp a huge inspiration for me for this film. And he ended up making some of Idris Elba's costumes. Mm. But the color saturations that he used in his collection and in his... Um, his his stills and his promo and the fashion show I had them in my my mood boards and mm. James also used some of the same images and and there was an um there was a artist um that we both worked with that I the name has slipped me but we, I used some of their paintings he's an artist that's done several time cover time covers and of people, black people in, in different walks of life. And I, I just love the color palette that was used and the, the references. And I mean, there's a shot of, of Regina King on a horse that we literally took right off the painting. You know, really? that first shot that you see of her sitting straddling the, the train, train tracks. Track. Um, oh yeah. That's a great shot. I'm I'm googling it now because <laughs> I'm uh, I'm mad at myself that I just my brain is fried and I did not um um I'm not remembering this artist's name but it will come back to me um because it's really it's it it was an inspiration for both of us and yeah. you know and and I think it's important to share that person's name so if, if I can, I will remember and tell you. 
Okay. Well, while you're looking for that, um, I am curious, you know, a lot of these people were real historical figures. Mm-hmm. Um, I know James didn't want to do like, quote unquote, a dusty old cowboy movie, but did the two of you opt to try and recreate the look that was captured of some of these real life figures in their outfits? Or did you just decide to build a new completely? No, I mean, I researched them. I looked at them. And then I parked them Mm. because we weren't recreating their stories. None of these people's paths actually cross. And some of them were not even alive at the same times. Using their names is James's way of playing homage to these people to show and educate and say they existed. Yeah. Why are we not talking about them now? Why are we, why did we not see them in all these Westerns? I didn't know about these people before, you know? Yeah. And when I looked at them, I think instinctively it was easy to, to, to see why Nat Love was cast. Jonathan Majors invokes that swagger, that, you know, that strength, that cockiness that you literally see coming off the page with the original Nat Love, but I didn't dress them the same. Yeah. I think it, you know, there's, there's tones of arrogance. I don't like, I don't know. This, I don't know if the words is arrogance. I mean, James uses the word swagger a lot and there mm-hmm. was definitely a lot of swagger in Nat Love's presence, even the way he held his head and the way his body the way his stance in his pictures. The only thing that I carried over from the original, an original person is for Bass Reeves. Um, Delroy Lindo really liked the bow tie. Mm. And the real Bass Reeves, it was a signature for him to wear the bow tie. He only wore bow tie. So we, we incorporated that in his look, but that's the only person. I mean, uh, Cuffy's the real Cuffy was a soldier. Mm. So um, no, there was no no overlaps, no du- duplicating. I I researched them and then I I moved on. Did you uh, want to in kind of creating the materials for these costumes? Did you decide to go modern or were you looking for fabrics that would have existed in the 1800s? Tell me a little bit about the fabrics and all these. The silhouette was the only thing that was important for me to have be somewhat accurate. It was my base. I used the Victorian era between 1870 and 1890 as a base for the silhouette, the the woman's shape was very lean and high necked and very straight. And I mean, I did, you did see that, but I also tried to open it up, which was my way of modernizing the look a little bit and sleek it out so that there wasn't the big bustle at the back, that there wasn't the constricted neckline that you see in Victorian times. And then ways in which I also modernized it was with the type of fabrics. I mean, Idris Elba's pinstripe suit had a bit of refinement, had a little bit more, you know, modern, super fine one, you know, super 100 feel to it than if I'd done a more textured 
woolier pinstripe, mm-hmm. which would have been more true to the period. You know, when people say that I stylized, there are they are very much denim was very much existed at that time, and how I then used it and the colors that I used it is how. I was able, I think, to to modernize it. And it wasn't that I just I I insti- I made it a point to say, this is how I'm going to make it modern. I just instinctively was attracted to certain colors or certain fabrics or wanting to make sure I had enough indigo because it was important that that was a base color for me as compared mm. to black. And it, I just did it organically, if that makes sense, you know? Yeah. It's not like, okay, this is too period accurate. Let me make it modern. It's just when in designing, I knew that the lines were going to be a little leaner, which would be much more relatable mm-hmm. than if I did it as authentically period as one would think. I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Burn the Boats from Evergreen Podcasts. I interview political leaders and influencers, folks like award-winning journalist Soledad O'Brien and conservative columnist Bill Kristol about the choices they confront when failure is not an option. I won't agree with everyone I talk to, but I respect anyone who believes in something enough to risk everything for it. Because history belongs to those willing to burn the boats. Episodes are out every other week wherever you get your podcasts. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far? in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon. You know, you mentioned having indigo and the importance of certain colors and dyes. I thought it was interesting that James sets a big part of the final battle in a dyeing workshop for fabrics. Mm -hmm. Um, Tell me a little bit about that decision making and your involvement in that as well. Other than being scared. (laughs) I'm like, don't fall in the vat of dye, please. Um, They decided that 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 shoot, that set was created towards the end. And it was just really important. Like they were trying to decide how they were going to do the fight and where. But more importantly, how do we cement and show this town and its origins and what made it possible? 
prosperous. And it, making it a textile town was amazing for me because then it gave validity to the colors and the sumptuous fabrics we used because we we milled in the town. We dyed in the town. That was a source of income for many of the merchants. If they were not involved in the textile industry in a manufacturing front, they were selling dry goods or they were trading. I mean, we had a bank in that town, a black town. So when I was thinking about color palette and and Martin Whist was thinking about color palette, we were able to play off the fact that not only was it a town that was industrious and had a, a, a main source of economy and income for the the families that live there we could use the color as a a base and a template because it existed do you know what i mean add yeah. in the dyes to paint add in the dyes to textiles so you and you see the difference the contrast between the two cities I'm not talking the, the Maysville, I'm talking Douglas Town. <laughs> Douglas Town is much warmer, more organic, and you know, a little is early. Maysville the white town? The white town. Yeah. <laughs> that gag killed me. Yeah, that was funny. <laughs> the white so, town. I was also curious, you know, the old West was dirty, and obviously James didn't want to do quote unquote a dusty, dirty cowboy movie. But did you work to kind of age and weather the clothes a little bit still? Tell me about that. Absolutely. I mean, I did it where it was needed. I mean, the only person's costume that I didn't age in some way was the new pieces that Idris Elba wears. Mm. His character, Rufus Buck, because the storyline, which, you know, with editing hits the hits the floor was this man arrived in town. Technically, there was a change in between, but it didn't happen. He arrived in town and went straight into being fitted, you know, shaved, haircut, barber, and then fitted by a tailor for new clothes. So his clothes were literally brand spanking new. Mm -hmm. And if you notice, he didn't leave the whole the, the hotel he lived in the mansion the mayor's mansion he never left it yeah so there was no place for his clothes to get broken down and dirty but um we had a full dye shop age of dyers i mean all of the leather the leather coats all of the you know trudy's the bottom of her skirts there's like levels of of dust at the bottom where she mm. walked and that's the thing that you know when I'm listening to some of the feedback and the reviews that they look like they just came out of a bag. Well, Trudy's in her saloon, in her dress. Why would she be dirty? Right. You know, um, she's not wandering around in the muck all the time. Exactly. And then you see, you look at, at um, Nat Love, his jacket and his clothes look like, he's been in them. They just don't look dirty, which was mm-hmm. important for James that he not be dirty. His, his arriving in Douglastown in that blue shirt and that jacket and jeans, 
he's come in a court and these are his best clothes. The clothes yeah. he had that he arrived in were to court Mary. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and he's making a statement. So of course it's going to be, it's going to look yeah, nice. It's not going to exactly, show up in rags. Exactly. You know? So, I mean, I try to have the clothes where necessary look like they belonged on people and there was a level of aging to make it real, but not to make it dirty. Sure. Uh, last question is, uh, you know, I think this this production got shut down a couple times because of COVID. Mm-hmm. So tell me about having to get close and costume people and fit people repeatedly during a pandemic. The fact that I've, I'm here talking to you is a miracle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was really hard. We were in New Mexico and the first shutdown was just before the pandemic and just before the world shut down, per se. Mm-hmm. And we shut down the day before camera and we were gearing up with the principal cast we had, but then when we came back, we didn't have some of those casts. Mm. So that was fast and dirty to get new people ready for camera in a very short time. But we also didn't have the resources we had prior. So I'm in a town that was on lockdown that the only retail store that was open to me was Walmart and Target. And if I couldn't find a vendor, like a vintage vendor that allowed us to, that allowed, was able to pull and let, you know, let us take it out the door or meet at the door. I was, I was very blessed to have the Santa Fe opera Mm. that allowed us in to rent from them and to buy fabric and notions. I couldn't even buy zippers or needles. If I couldn't ship it in by Amazon, which I'm doing a period movie. (laughs) If I couldn't get it by Amazon because all the rental houses were closed. And then when they opened, they were opened with limitations. Mm. So it was it was really, really, really challenging. I had to get creative you know, buying contemporary shirts. We shipped from London because we could ship in. Yeah. I mean, it was a challenge. I'm not going to lie. It sounds like it. Okay. I said that was the last question, but I got one more. Um, I loved all the hats in this. Tell me about all the distinctive hats. Oh my God. That was fun. That was one of the, I mean, I, I worked with so many amazing hat artisans that Baron Hats in Los Angeles. Um, Stetson did some great work for us, sent us a lot of great hats. The hat that Idris Elba wears is Stetson. Baron Hats made the hat for Nat Love and Mary and Bass Reeves. We found a great hat place in, and I mean, it's literally a store that has been around for decades and they make custom hats there that made a hat for Dion Cole's character, Wiley Escrow in a day. And then I found another local guy, Stilt Collection, that did Cuffy's hat. So we were able, as we went along, 
to, 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 because all the hats were custom Mm -hmm. because one, it needed to be right for that character, but also I needed multiples. (laughs) This is an action movie. Oh my God. So, I mean, we rented bins and bins and bins of hats, but for the leads, the majority of the leads, I'd say 95% of the lead actors had custom hats. Oh, that's so cool. Did they get to keep their hats after? Well, (laughs) I know one actor who went home in his entire costume. So (laughs) he has has everything from the hat down to the boots. Oh, that's hilarious. I'm sure you know who that is. (laughs) (laughs) I have a couple guesses. (laughs) Thank you so much for taking the time to talk. Uh, This is fantastic and it's really great work. I'm glad the film wasn't shut down. I'm glad we got to see it. You know, that I know it was a Herculean effort on you guys' part. So well, thank you so much. I appreciate um I appreciate that you did watch it and that you liked it and that you saw the costumes, especially all the hard work. I couldn't have done it. I had a, an amazing team that we we stuck it out and and we made it happen. We got we had to get really creative to do this. Movie. It sounds like it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, we didn't make it in Los Angeles or New York, (laughs) you know, for sure. Yeah. Get some sleep, too. I know it's getting late there. So thank you for staying up to talk to me, too. Oh, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. And take care. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to my interview with the writer, director and composer for The Harder They Fall, James Samuel, and Will Mavity's interview with the costume designer, Antoinette Messem, here on the Next Best Picture podcast. The Heart of Day Fall is currently streaming on Netflix and is up for your consideration in all categories at this year's Academy Awards, including Best Picture, Best Original Score, Best Original Song, and Best Costume Design. You have been listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you'll get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we shall see you all next time. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.